Hi, this is Dave Spray from the Icy Disc Show. I just had a great interview with Ali Nasser, who owns a unique uh, wealth management firm called Altrue Vista. They're focused almost exclusively on business owners, and uh, they help them with the unique challenges that business owners have. They have a process, and uh, there's a lot of good information in here about the different mistakes business owners make and different strategies that different business owners may be appropriate, and, uh, and a big focus on the planning piece of what they do. So I hope you enjoy listening to this interview as much as I enjoyed participating in it. Good morning, Ali. Good morning, Dave. How are you? Hey, I am great. Thank you for joining me on the IC Disc Show today. I'm excited. Very excited to be here. So let me go ahead and start by reading uh, the bio of Ali Nasser. So Ali is the CEO and founder of Altru Vista and an instructor at Rice University's CFP graduate program. He's an expert on the environmental mindset and how it relates to wealth and financial strategy. His professional life is dedicated to helping business owners capture their life's work. At Altru Vista, Ali and his team provide specialized guidance to business owners who have outgrown the traditional sales-based model of financial services. Using the trademarked wealth, wealth with Purpose planning process, they help high net worth individual business owners align their business vision with their financial strategies while integrating their team of professional advisors. Ali's upcoming book, The Business Owner's Dilemma, will uniquely address the critical decisions facing highly successful entrepreneurs. Well, so there's uh, there's your your life's work captured in 30 seconds, Holly. What do you think? There, there you go. It's always funny hearing uh, hearing a bio being read out loud when you somewhat write it yourself. Uh, <laughs> sure, sure. Well, <laughs> well, let's let's get started. So, how did you um, get into the financial services business? So, about 16 years ago. I, I was finishing up university at, at U of H in Houston and got accidentally started in a career in financial services. And I really, really enjoyed the consultative side of the business, um, helping individuals get to a better place, feeling like you could start a conversation and an hour later uh, have a positive impact on um, the person that you're working with. But what was very frustrating is the industry itself had so many conflicts of interest. And mm-hmm. I felt as though, and I think you've, you've experienced this, um, and we've talked about this in the past, Dave, that so much of the industry uh, historically has been product-focused, and someone was selling an investment program or selling an insurance policy. And I noticed in the industry when I got started that, people really needed guidance and advice. They needed those financial solutions, but what they needed more than anything else was a plan and a strategy to get there and to figure out what they needed to do uh, before they start looking at what solutions what solutions might fit. So okay. seeing that, um, seeing that issue, I said, I love the consulting, didn't really like the conflicts. Why not just build a better model? and create something that was more focused on what clients needed, which was a planning process, strategic guidance and advice, 
someone to help them understand their vision and their goals and then build a plan to support it. So about five, six years into my career, I uh, decided to start AltruVista as a business that could help cater uh, toward that type of solution and service versus the traditional uh, sales-focused um, aspects of the business. That makes sense. And uh, so I guess that's been a little over 10 years ago that AltruVista was launched, right? I think you just celebrated mm-hmm. your 10th anniversary. That's right. Last summer we had year 10. So it's exciting to to have that first first major milestone. That that is great. And and you are correct that when I between my original job out of school with Arthur Anderson here in Houston and getting into the IC disc business, I spent uh, a number of years in financial services. And one of the main reasons I left was for that uh, inherent conflict of interest that you described. And uh, I've uh, I've discussed with you before that if Ultra Vista had existed at that time, um, I very well uh, would you know might have stayed in the financial services arena and just uh, shifted over to a firm like Ultra Vista. So yeah, I have a I have a particularly um, good appreciation for um, uh, for what you all do, and um, Thanks, and Dave. by the way, you know, thank you for taking such good care of our clients. Uh, I've referred a number of uh, clients to you all, and also thank you for for uh, for what you've done for my wife and me through the years as well. Uh, it's, it's been a pleasure. I uh, love working with you and Christine, as well as as well as the mutual clients that we have, and. And on the flip side, I know we'll talk more about it in, in today's talk, but uh, you know, the IC disc has been a huge win for several of our clients and a big, a big tax saving opportunity uh, that many of them come back and say, wow, I, I still can't get over the fact that we saved this much money. So, Sure. Well, you were, you were welcome. We, uh, we always try to take good care of your clients as well. So let's let's drill down a little bit so let's look at you mentioned that you were set up to serve business owners um but i'm guessing that you're a little more focused than that you're not just looking for anybody who who owns a business or is self-employed so what are the characteristics of the business owners that you find most benefit from your work or or who most you know resonate with the the value that you all provide Mm -hmm. yeah that's a great question uh, so business owners was, was initially, it's been a focus of ours for, I'd say, eight or nine years now that we've really been uh, channel focused on business owners. Um, the, the particular target, from a mindset standpoint, um, they tend to, their best investment tends to be themselves or their own company. They are super focused on uh, growing, building, developing the business that they have. And it tends to be one core company that they might have owned for 10, 20, 30 years uh, that they've really been building up. It's their core focus. And in some cases, they may have already sold that company or they're just building it up and, and they're generating really great cash flows. Um, the business owners that we do with typically have already hit a substantial level of success. They're not in startup mode. Uh, they're not in, in more of a self-employed business. They own an institution and they've built something uh, that has a lot of value uh, outside of, of just their efforts that are put into each, each day. Uh, they tend to have many different advisors. Usually when we meet someone, they have, you know, four to seven different professional advisors, tax, legal, financial, 
Um, they tend to be very community and uh, charity focused, whether it's making inspiring social change or being involved in their local community or religious institution or whatever it may be. They tend to be family and community oriented. And I think a big mindset thing is the business owners we, we advise really enjoy maximizing success. They like finding opportunities okay. to en enhance their existing success, um, look for ways to continually uh, leverage their best abilities. And uh, uh, from an opportunity cost standpoint, are always looking for their highest and best use. And um, usually the, the target, um, I'd say the, the majority of our, our business owner clients are in that 20 to 100 million of net worth, including their business value. Usually they're not very liquid. Some, some are, they've, they've had a liquidity event, but a lot of them aren't. Typically in that mm -hmm. 20 to 100 million of net worth. And I'd say the range is from 10 million to 200 million. That's our core client base. We do have some outliers that are above and below, um, but generally that's, that's the space. And what we find with okay. that group is that they've really outgrown the traditional sales-based model of financial services. They're not looking so much of someone to pitch them a portfolio or come up with an insurance plan. They're looking first and foremost for more of a personal advisor, or a personal CFO or a family CFO. And one of our clients mentioned, mentioned that to us as a descriptor this past year. And it's something that's latched onto our business that we're, we're a family CFO. Anyone in their family, um, you know, any decision that they're making from a business or planning standpoint, they want our strategic input on to help them make that best decision. And okay. we lead everything with a plan. We develop a, a comprehensive strategy and plan um, for their whole balance sheet and their whole position and their life goals. And then we help execute that. And whatever financial mechanisms are needed, they can fill the gaps. But the main thing that we're doing is is building that strategic plan for their for their whole for their whole life position. Okay. Yeah. So that. Yeah. Thank you for so succinctly describing uh, you know describing that. So so you're you're really focused on these business owners and. So you kind of touched on some of the, the characteristics of them, but what about, let's look at some of the biggest challenges they face. What do mm -hmm. you, what in your experience, what are the challenges these um, business owners face who, you know, in regards to their, their planning or, or financial advisory needs? Mm -hmm. I think the first thing is they're, they're so committed and focused on their core company and what they do every day and, and building a business is not easy. You know, I've, I've been building one the past, you know, decade over a decade now, and it is a difficult process to build a business. And there's a million things that you end up having to focus on and you end up being the catch all. Even if you have the right people, there's always a certain element or a certain amount of work that just will always, you'll always get caught up in. And what, what tends to happen with that is personal planning gets put on the back burner. So mm -hmm. most of the business owners that are out there, they're, they're incredibly talented in their space and they're focused every day in their space, but they're usually not looking at their personal financial strategy. And the reality is, is every dollar of revenue that is generated in the company, there's a certain amount of filtration that goes through and then the profits left over. And we focus a lot on that in the business, top line revenue and bottom line profitability. But the true bottom line profitability is what ends up on your personal balance sheet 
and how you end up capturing your business's success on your personal balance sheet. And mm-hmm. I think for a lot of business owners, a big challenge that they face is they haven't, and they may not even know they're facing this challenge. They're so business focused, they forget to have a capture strategy for their personal balance sheet to be able to capture the success that they've had in business. Mm-hmm. And I think that is kind of a leading reason that we exist is that whole notion of having someone to help guide you through the journey of capturing your success is a space that is often not filled. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's kind of a, an overarching challenge. And then within, within there, uh, and I, 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 I'll talk about this a lot more in my book, but within there, there are three major business owners' dilemmas uh, that, that business owners will face uh, throughout their you know, life cycle in a business. Okay. And what are those three dilemmas? Um, so the, the first uh, the first major one that hits is once the business owners come up, they've, they've built their company, they have a proof of concept, they're making money, there's, there's revenue and profit coming in. The first major dilemma that a business owner faces is what I call the reinvestment dilemma. So this is where a business owner says, I've, I've made whatever the amount is, 500000 or $5 million of profit from my company. What do I do with it? Do I buy real estate? Do I reinvest back in the company? Do I invest in the market? Do I park it in cash and wait for a deal to come along? What do I do with the success that I've created? Um, and, and what's that reinvestment strategy? And usually this will hit a business owner and uh, without a clear plan, uh, it could go in any which direction. They might end up investing in 10 different startups. They might you know, further invest in their company. They may put money in the market, et cetera. Um, but that's the first dilemma that they face is, is how do I reinvest and what is my next best opportunity for the capital that I've generated? The second business owner's dilemma is usually a little later in the, in the life cycle where they're asking questions about their legacy. What is this all sure. for? Sh- should I leave this to my children or to charity if they don't have children or, you know, whatever that goal is, what is this all for? Why have I built this? I, I, I want to leave a legacy for my kids, but I don't want them to be entitled. I want them to be empowered. And um, when, what happens to my company if I'm not around and who do I want to, to take that baton or, you know, that's that second major dilemma that goes on. I call it the legacy dilemma. Okay. And, yeah. I, I follow that. Yeah. And then the third dilemma is it happens to some, uh, to most, I would say at some point is the exit. Um, and, and I did a, a TED talk for entrepreneurs organization on this, on this topic, but the, the big dilemma that comes up here is should I, at the, at the point that it arises, should I exit the company? Uh, we're all going to have an exit, whether we like it or not. You know, we all will have an exit mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah. For voluntary or not. But, but for the, for the voluntary exit, there's a big decision that comes in as to do I, sell the company and, and, you know, take this deal or opportunity? Do I, you know, take the capital or do I continue to build my life's work? Or is the business I'm in not really my long-term vision and should I sell? So that exit dilemma, which is one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult of the three, 
Um, so we have the reinvestment dilemma as the first, the legacy dilemma as the second, and then, you know, exit um, or liquidity event dilemma is the third. So those are the, I would say, the major things usually any business starter at any point in time that has hit success. Because prior to success, they could be thinking all about how do I, how do I get this business to be successful? But once it's been successful, I find that most business owners are in one of those three places and helping them develop strategy and, and the right conversation around those topics and asking the right questions can be enormously impactful uh, to a business owner at those stages. Sure. So just to, to check for understanding, there's there's three um, main dilemmas you've identified in your experience, the business owner's experience. One is what do they do with excess profits in the business that they don't need for, you know, kind of immediate um, financial support of their family? Uh, do they reinvest that in the business? Do they diversify it away from the business? And, and if so, where do they put it? Uh, the second piece is a legacy uh, questions that they might have uh, that, that 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 they're just trying to figure out, you know, kind of what the meaning and what they want to be their legacy from the business. And the third, and what you've indicated was the most difficult, is that exit decision. And uh, you know, recognizing that everybody will exit the business at some point, either on their terms or, or not on their terms. Uh, when is the right time for that? And um, and that that creates a lot of, in some ways, that's the most stressful of the, the three dilemmas. Does that about encompass it? Wow, that was about the most perfect regurgitation I've ever heard <laughs> of those three. Yeah, okay. that's, that's that's pinpoint on on the spot, um, and that's that's what the the book I'm releasing that will cover in depth what goes on in these stages and and how to just think through it. I, I feel at the end of the day, um, if you can give an owner better perspective and better clarity over their entire position, they'll inevitably make better decisions. Because a business owner knows how to make, they know how to make decisions, but their decisions are part input and part instinct. And mm -hmm. I think as business owners, we make a lot of decisions based on instinct and the, an amount of input that we have. But I think if we can have the right input delivered to us in the right way, then that allows us to make our decisions with much more clarity. And, and I've never known any time in life when having more clarity ever led to a bad decision. You know, more clarity sure. always leads to a better decision. So. Sure, sure. Well, that makes sense. Well, I'd like to go back now to something that, that we touched on a bit earlier. And I think mm -hmm. you've mentioned that the average client of yours, uh, when they come on board, they have four to seven advisors currently. Was that the correct mm -hmm. number? Well, I mean, and, it's a range, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, but that's kind of typical, right? And uh, mm -hmm. so my question is, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I think you're all right. Keep going. So with with that number of planners, does that create any challenges for the coordination within the planning? I mean, is there any, is one of those advisors kind of the quarterback over, you know, overseeing all the other uh, advisors? That's a, that's a great, that's a great question. And, and uh, I can tell you've got insightful background here, but what typically happens is, you know, these four to seven advisors come from different disciplines. And there might be a CPA there that's been around since the business was started 25 years ago. And then maybe an attorney that's been there for 10 years and an investment and insurance advisor that have been there a few years. What we typically find 
is the business owner goes to each professional on their own and they all work in silo. So they get the tax input and then they get the legal input and then they get financial input. And then the business owner is left with having to sort through, organize these ideas and make a decision. And what, what we find ends up happening is because all of the advice was given in silo, there are major planning gaps that happen at the intersection or where these different professionals overlap. And usually these planning gaps are costing the business owner a substantial amount of money um, or a substantial amount of risk, and they're unaware of it altogether. And it's not until a catalyst comes along that the business owner realizes that there's a problem. And a catalyst might be they just had a big jump in income. It might be that they sell their company. It could be a lawsuit. Um, it could be a divorce. There could be anything, or God forbid, it could be the, the, someone passing away. And mm -hmm. it's at that point that all the advisors and the family realize there's these major planning gaps and why did no one catch this? And that this, this situation I just described is the reason behind uh, uh, us creating Wealth with Purpose you know, 10 years ago, is that business owners need a, a process to help extract their vision and align their professional advisors to one plan. And that way, everyone's pulling in the same direction. And I, I use this analogy with, with, let's say you have a business owner that has a, a net worth of $50 million, right? Highly successful business owner. Well, if you met somebody that had a $50 million company and their C-suite of executives had never met, what would you tell them? <laughs> I'd, I'd tell them that, that they've got a problem. It's, it's, they've got a problem. It's pretty crazy if your C-suite has never met and you have a $50 million revenue company. Well, sure. when, you have a 50, when you have a $50 million personal balance sheet and your tax, legal, financial, investment advisors have never met and have never collaboratively worked together, I think you're, you're dealing with a similar situation. And mm -hmm. the, rea the reality is, is that once you've built up that level of net worth and you have the optionality to where I, you could, if you wanted to, not to say you would, if you could you know, sell the company and have enough capital to be financially independent forever, but you, know, you could do that. But hypothetically, you're dealing with enough personal capital at this point that you need integrated guidance and advice. And if you don't get that integrated guidance and advice, what you're probably already doing is there's gaps and issues that are costing you money or creating risk, um, and you're not able to fully maximize your success. So sure. going, um, going back to your initial question with, you know, is there someone that usually quarterbacks this? The short answer is no. Uh, it's not, there's not usually a quarterback. There's usually one advisor that is, I would say, the most trusted or is the greatest confidant to the business owner. Uh, oftentimes, that's their CPA that they've, you know, spent that 20, 30 years with. Um, and they may not be a quarterback, but they may be the person that the business owner goes to for the for the most guidance. Um, what we try to do in, in our wealth with purpose process is we know we do not have a monopoly on good ideas. And the greatest way to success for the business owner is to get their trusted per team of professionals working together. So within our process, we as we build out the, the planning strategy and we, we align with the business owner and usually their spouse to figure out what their their life vision and goals are, 
we get an inventory of their position, and then we bring their tax and legal advisors to the table with us so that we can work together and say, here's what the client has expressed as their current vision. And I know they've expressed five other visions over the last 20 years and five different conversations, but here's where they are today. Here are the key obstacles that we face. And what additional obstacles might you see on your end? Usually tax and legal advisors are adding in their things as well. And then as a team, knowing the client's goals and objectives, how do we best accomplish um, the most effective outcome? So that we're looking at all of this in one go, how do we work together to build this? And what happens in that meeting is nothing short of magic because you have advisors that really care about the client, some that have known them decades and decades. You have aligned goals, you have a clear balance sheet and a financial position, and then you have the right structure in the meeting to where you're not spending time arguing over, well, I want to do this versus I want to do that. You're saying, here are the key issues. What's the most effective solution? And then you can have some very collaborative conversation about the how. Um, mm-hmm. And what usually ends up leaving that conversation is, wow, it may have been a tough hourly bill for the you know two or three hours, but we, we created huge opportunities for success that are usually exponentially higher than the time and cost invested. And I think that's something that is, is really great about an integrated planning process because um, mm-hmm. you, discover, you discover things that you otherwise wouldn't have. And, and when you put three or four great minds, professional minds in a room with the right format, uh, the business owner wins. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's something that when we get done with our process, many owners will come back and say, man, that meeting, it really helped. Every time I talk to my CPA now or my attorney, we're all speaking the same language on why and where we're going. And I think that is, that is really powerful. Yeah. And it sounds like you may end up being that catalyst that you discussed earlier. Yeah. That brings everybody together. Yeah. And, and that's usually our, I find that the, the CPAs and attorneys, once they know we don't, we don't file tax returns, we don't do legal documents, but we understand them and we can help do planning, I think a lot of times they really enjoy us being um, someone that is that is pulling all the pieces together for the business owner and getting a lot of things teed up so that when we can have a meeting, they can focus on their technical tax or legal strategy and how it applies versus trying to get the business owner to go through a process to actually get to the point of making the right decision. Because uh, I think a lot of time in relationships, so much time is spent in the back and forth, and there's a lot of wheel spent. So when there's one structured process that helps motivate the right actions, it just allows everybody to to get better traction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we we typically do service at quarterback. I would I would say that's the norm. Um, and if there's yeah, a CPA was- or an attorney. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to say that that was going to be my next question is how do the advisors respond? Are they, uh, you know, threatened by your presence? Are they like, hey, you know, who's who's the, 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 the new kid on the block? We've been working with this guy for 20 years. But it sounds like they generally appreciate the role that you play once they realize that you're not a competitive threat to their piece of the puzzle. Right. I think you said it, you nailed it on the head there, is once they realize we're not a competitive threat. Um, we, we do have some uh, attorneys and CPAs at the moment that hear about us, their guards go up and 
they want to convince everyone at the table or convince the client that you know they're the they want to prove their value which which i totally understand mm-hmm. but i think once they see that we're all looking for the same outcome for the business owner and we're not competing with them um, and we don't do their services, it, it shifts the paradigm. And, and it is sometimes, you know, maybe one out of three or one out of five clients, and I'm making up a number here, but one out of five clients advisor team might have someone that feels a little threatened. But by the time that first meeting is over, uh, the collaborative meeting, I, I find that we're all on the same page and, and the norm is how do we work together? versus uh, anything else. No, that makes makes a lot of sense. Well, now we come to my favorite part of these interviews, and that is the real life examples. Uh, So could you give us some examples of some ways you've helped uh, business owners? And and I've I've got some some ideas, but I'll I'll just let you just kind of run with some that come to mind. Sure. I mean, I, I certainly can, can run with a few, but I love ideas. So if you've got something you want to start with, I, I'm happy to piggyback off of that. Sure, sure. So what about from, um, you know, owners that 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 liquidity seems to be one of their biggest um, issues, you know, as far as short term and by liquidity, meaning, you know, either what to do with their excess liquidity or uh, insufficient short-term liquidity, you know, either one. What do you, mm. and, and actually I'm, I'm more, let me re, let me shift that question. I'm actually more interested in what they do with the excess liquidity. So do you have an example of that where you've worked with a client mm-hmm. on that excess yeah. liquidity? Yeah, yeah, we actually, so one of our, one of our talks for, we do talks for CEOs groups and one of our most popular talks is the 10 biggest mistakes business owners make uh, with their wealth. And uh, the number one mistake, the first one on the list is they have no, um, no buckets and no boundaries is what we call it, which is the lack Mm -hmm. of a cash flow or liquidity strategy. And I'll explain this briefly that so most business owners, what ends up happening is they generate profits in their company. And they have a big chunk of cash sitting inside their company account or a big chunk of cash sitting inside their personal savings. And when you ask a business owner, what's, what's this cash for this huge chunk of money? And they'll say, well, that's either, uh, I might want to, I might want to expand the company. I might want to buy some real estate. If the market falls, I might want to put money in the market. And it's just a rainy day fund, you know, and well, mm-hmm. how'd you come up with that number? You know, and it might be $2 million in that. In that bucket, well, you know, I just that's just what I that's the excess. I'm, I'm not sure what I want to do with it, but I need it to be liquid, and I need it to be available at any time. And that's the typical situation I'll see from someone with excess cash. Well, while it's great to have that excess cash liquid and available, I think it, all all things being equal, you'd rather have efficiency on that cash than not have efficiency. Mm-hmm, so sure. what what ends up what you ideally want to create is your working capital, which is really what is the capital that you need for the next 12 months to operate your company or your personal life. And that can be liquid sitting in, in a, you know, in a, in a reserve account or in a, a cash manager or checking account, whatever it may be. But then there's that second bucket, which is that this is capital that's really most of the time we find is one to five year. And it might be for the examples I gave earlier about real estate or business expansion. And that capital, that doesn't have to make, you know, nothing in a bank account. You could make, you know, one, two, three percent in a very liquid, very low risk uh, account, um, you know, very secure. Uh, and that's one to five year capital. 
And then if it's over five years and you don't need, it's not your working capital, it's not something you plan to spend in the next one to five years, well then by definition, that's excess. And that really should be dedicated to your long-term capital, which could generate mm -hmm. a much higher return. That might generate a mm -hmm. five, 10, 15% return, whatever it may be in that longer term bucket. So for the question you mentioned about the excess liquidity, that one to five year liquidity, if you're making 3% on a million dollars, that's 30 grand a year. And I find most business owners have been sitting on that excess cash for three to five years. So that's, that on a million dollars, that would be 90 uh, to $150,000 of excess cash that they could have made in interest just mm -hmm. by repositioning the cash that was in their business. And this isn't mm -hmm. taking on special risk. This isn't losing access to their capital. This isn't buying a illiquid product. This is just having a liquidity strategy. Mm -hmm. And something like that, that could be the first $100,000 of, of benefit um, uh, that a business owner gets is purely from better management of their cash or their reserves inside the company. Mm -hmm. And you even have, I believe you have a, 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 a solution, a strategy around that exact challenge, don't you, with the business owners fund? Yeah, yeah, we do. We, we, we noticed this about five years ago, and essentially some clients want something that's no risk and they'd rather sit in U.S. treasuries and make one or one and a half percent. Some say I'm comfortable with a very, very small amount of risk, but I need it to be liquid and available at any time. So we, we launched a, a simple portfolio called Business Owners Fund, and that's um, a way for business owners to generate two to three percent on their liquid cash without having it be tied up and being at you know ultra short term, ultra low risk. Uh, and okay. that's been very successful for our clients. You know, it's it's uh, it's saved a lot of it's made them a, a lot of money on something that otherwise would have made zero in the bank. Okay. Well, and and so. It, like what comes to mind as an example of say maybe a client who was the most extreme that that their that the cash they had effectively earning nothing or very little was just way outsized to what like their one year needs are. Do you have like a, a an example that you could just you know share yeah. like the numbers of? Yeah, it's interesting how the brain works because the moment you said that I thought of the most extreme example and it was from years ago. Um, but a business owner was going through our process. He had multiple different uh, financial advisors. So his, his thing was, is he had met multiple advisors over his career and had a few million here, a few million there, a few million in his 401k and pension. Kind of everything was spread out, but he had, he had a, a very large portfolio uh, with different advisors and then had three or four different companies within his business. And each one of those companies had kind of their operating and savings accounts. So I remember going going through wealth of purpose with him, and we got to a point where we had aggregated all of the different accounts, and I'll call it twenty different places, and we aggregated everything together. And I said to him, "How much cash do you think you have between all your different accounts?" And he said, "Probably around two million, you know, maybe two million." And I said, "The number is six. You've got six million dollars of capital." completely in cash between all these combined accounts that you have. Oh, wow. And because they were in different places, the different advisors, different companies, um, he had never really pulled it all together to see what his true cash allocation was. And I remember this so clearly because it was the end of 2013 when we, when we went through his planning process. And 
2013, the market was up about 30%. And then his portfolio allocation was about half stocks, half bonds. So I remember him in the conversation thinking to himself or, or saying, you know, the market was up 30% this year. If I'm half stocks, I would have made 15. And he's doing the math on 15% on 6 million. And it was right. one of those moments where it's like, it doesn't matter how you performed relative to a benchmark. Just having efficiency of your planning and cash, that's, that's the 90% of the battle. It's just having the right structure in place. It doesn't matter if you made 12 or 15 or 18. It was about not having it in cash. So mm -hmm. um, I haven't revisited that story in, in years. So thank you for that question. Oh, you're, you're, you're welcome. That's, uh, and I can, and I can understand how that, that happens, um, where you've got, you know, money, you know, spread out in different areas. And it's not like they're getting a report each month, you know, saying, Hey, this is your excess cash and it totals $6 million. So it doesn't really, it, it's not really top of mind to them. Um, what about, how about another example of a business owner? that you really felt like you were able to really make a big impact on. Uh, and it doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to be around liquidity. It can be around tax minimization or just helping them have clarity. So let's, let's look at another kind of real life anonymous example. I find those tend to be the most interesting, uh, interesting sure, way to understand sure. your business. And I'll give a couple of broad stroke ones just so that your different listeners can, um, can hear from different angles. So, one of them is having a true balance sheet strategy. And so I'll call it 90 plus percent of, of the financial service providers will really focus on what's your allocation for an account or portfolio. And, mm -hmm. and the reality is for most business owners, their largest stock is their company sure. and the business that they own. So it really, if, if you're worth $30 million and you're a business owner, I, I would veer to guess that over 70%, 80% of your net worth is in one stock, and it's the stock that you founded. Mm -hmm. Well, when you're investing or you're planning or you're developing a strategy, not taking into consider, not taking into consideration your stock in the company as your main asset, you're, you're really missing out on the greatest planning opportunity. So uh, what we, yeah. So let me just let me just make sure I understand where you're going with this. So, for example, you're saying if 80% of their wealth is in their their company, if you look at it from a objective perspective, you're saying, hey, not only do you have 80% of your wealth in small cap stocks, you have it's all in a single small cap stock, and. Right. With that in mind, they perhaps don't need any small cap exposure in the market, right? I mean, they, they may have all the small cap exposure they need, and perhaps their market exposure needs to be more conservative and recognize their huge uh, concentration risk and um, and small cap risk that they already have. Is that is that where you're going with yeah. this? Well, that could be what you just described could be the solution. I think that what you what you captured there was right on is that you have to take into consideration what you have right now and what your exposure is when you're developing your strategy. So for mm -hmm. some people, it might be, well, you know what? I've got so much exposure in my company. I want all of my personal liquidity to be extraordinarily conservative because it has to barbell the risk that I have mm -hmm. in my business. 
And you may have someone else that says, you know what, I, I'm I am comfortable with the amount of risk that I have in the business. And as long as I have enough liquidity separate from the company that I'm financially independent, I don't mind having excess risk. But the key thing is, are you factoring in your business and your, your personal uh, assets on your balance sheet when you're making decisions on your total uh, allocation? And, and this is why their plan, it all comes back to the plan, right? Because, you know, depending on their age and their charitable inclinations and other things will dictate, right? You could have two people, you know, one's 35 and one's 65 with seemingly identical portfolios um, that because of what they may want to do with the business, they're in dramatically different situations or even two 35 year olds that look very similar, but one has a plan to exit the business in five years and one has a plan to bring his children into the business. Right. right. Very and that's what all, come, all comes back to the plan, right? Without the plan, yep. you don't know where to guide them or to assist them. That's ex that is exactly correct. Dave. And um, one little example I'll give there is a gentleman I was working with um, a couple of years back he, he was telling me about his company and he said, 90% of our business comes from one extraordinarily large retailer. And I won't give the name just because, you know, privacy, mm -hmm. and never know who's listening, but it's a very sure. large retailer that was 90% of his business. And he, his entire personal portfolio, and when I say entire personal portfolio, I mean 100% was in treasuries and high quality municipals. Because he said, I don't care what return I make on my personal capital. I have so much risk in my business and it's all 90% with one customer. I need my personal capital to be as stable and secure as possible. I don't care what the return is. Um, sure. and, and that can sometimes be the solution for that person. And sometimes it could be totally different. All depends on the profile, but a critical thing is making sure that you factor in the business risk as part of that total balance sheet strategy. Well, and it would also matter, right, like just the magnitude of that dollar amount, right? If their mm -hmm. net worth outside the business or, you know, their their investable assets outside the business was a million dollars, they might have a greater desire to be hyper conservative than someone whose you know, investable assets are a hundred million dollars outside the business, right? Right. Absolutely. That matters too. Mm hmm and okay. at the end of the day, for a lot of these business owners, where where the greatest opportunity for savings comes in is we can do all the we can do all the planning. Um, it's how you position things from a tax standpoint that can mm -hmm. sometimes be a big impact to the net dollars saved. You know, and I, mm -hmm. you know, there's about a half dozen, uh, maybe even a little more than that, but a, about a half dozen major tax minimization strategies that that we utilize for business owners. And through a combination of those, we may have two people with the same plan, but one of them is deploying the tax minimization strategies. They both might generate the same return from their business and their personal investments, but one is netting 30% more return than the other because of tax positioning. Mm -hmm. And and that can add a, a lot of alpha to their balance sheet. And it's and that's something that when we think about like our work with you with the IC disc, the IC disc is one of those, you know, half dozen tax strategies that can really help a business owner keep more of their net return. It's mm -hmm. just, you know, through their business versus just on their personal balance sheet. 
So that's another way that's like a real life, you know, example of, of tax minimization is using a strategy like that can end up just, you know, you're making $10, you, you can keep six after tax, or you can keep eight after tax. The difference is how you do your planning. Right, right. Well, that is helpful. Well, um, but boy, I can't believe how fast the, the time is, is going. Um, we've got about 15 minutes left. So why don't we talk sure. about a couple of misconceptions that people may have about, about your service? What, what are some misconceptions that, that come to mind? Um, I think the first and most common is um, the perception of what an advisory firm, we, we call ourselves a family CFO or an, an entrepreneurial wealth planning, but the moment you say wealth, everybody thinks uh, money management, product, some, you know, stockbroker or insurance agent trying to, you know, pick something. And that is by far the most um, challenging misconception about our services is that it's mm -hmm. very focused on, you know, money management, liquidity product. And the reality is, is it's, it's 90% of what we do, and, I, and I'm not speaking for the industry, but specifically for Altria Vista, it's really more the consulting and planning and, and helping a business owner and their family get aligned with, with their advisor team, with their goals, um, figuring out the nuances of their balance sheet and position. And, and, you know, maybe 10 or 20% is time spent on the actual end solution. Uh, because mm -hmm. so much is, is really in that creative side of, of the planning and consulting. So that's probably the largest um, misconception. Um, and and the, the second thing is that um, business owners um, feeling as though they need to be planned or have their ducks in a row before they come to us. And okay. that, oh, I really, all I really need to get organized. And, you know, when things have the right time, you know, then we can, we can talk right now. Things are crazy. And, and the reality is, is that the planning process, it's a process. It's not an event. It's not one meeting. When we engage someone, it, it sometimes takes us nine months, 12 months, 18 months to get all the way to the finish line. But during that process, we're having multiple meetings to make progress. And we get progress, we get momentum, and it gives the business owner the time and space to really think and rethink about their goals. I find that many business owners can make a decision if they want to in a microwave, but most of them prefer to make it in a crockpot and, 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 sure. and take, their, take their time and revisit the decision again and again so they really have certainty it's the right thing. So you don't have to be in a position where, you know, I have everything organized, I know what I want to do, now I want to meet with someone. Actually, it can be more beneficial to say I'm not exactly sure what I want, and I'd rather take this slow and and go through this process. Uh, and I think that works out really well uh, because they get the space and time to think, and we can really learn about them and not make not make immediate decisions um, that we you know could one day end up undoing, but really be intentional about what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So no, that 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 makes sense. Um, what is the typical uh, you've made me think of something what's your the typical relationship like um over the first 10 years like how many meetings do you have a year what are the purpose of the meetings because i think that would really give people a context of, of how the service yeah. works that's a great question so um 
And I really appreciate that question because I, I don't think I've ever been asked that before, that what, the, what, a, what a decade might look like. Um, year one is our trademark year of, of wealth and purpose, mm-hmm. where the very first thing that we want to do is, is determine where, what your goals are. And we usually work with you and your spouse, figure out what it is that you want to accomplish and why, and where your current positioning is, who's on your advisor team, and how do we take your vision and your goals and identify the major gaps, considerations, opportunities within your position. So think of a SWOT analysis. We mm-hmm. want to look at your overall entire financial position and say, what are the best strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats to, to kind of keep it um, straightforward. And get everyone on your team agreed that we're pulling it, we're going to pull in the same direction. And that year one is doing that process and getting alignment from our clients that this accurately reflects your goals, vision and values. And you're now in a position to say, let's execute and let's make the changes that we need to make. This is typically going to involve revisiting your uh, tax strategy, revisiting your estate plan, revisiting your investment strategy, looking at your cash flow and developing the right cash flow structure, looking at risk management and asset protection, something like if you got sued tomorrow, how are your assets positioned? Every aspect of your balance sheet planning and personal life planning as a business owner will be addressed. And we won't necessarily have a solution for 100% of the things year one. We might have 60 or 70% that we solve in year one. And then the rest carry over to year two. Um, okay. Then once once we've built out that plan and blueprint, then we're implementing. We're working with your tax and legal team. We're we're implementing on the financial side. They're implementing on the tax and legal side, and we are navigating through uh, getting all of those key obstacles addressed um, and executing those. Then ongoing, I'll call it, uh, once we've implemented, and this may be year two, year three, year four, once we've got through the major portion of implementing, then we're managing this plan for change. Because I can guarantee you this, as a business owner, you are going to have change. And economically, there is going to be change. The tax law is going to change. Your business value is going to change. Your cash flow um, economically, things are going to change, and that plan that we build has to be fluid enough to adapt to the changes in your position and the changes in the marketplace. So each year, we are looking at ways to revisit that plan and continually create more value. So not just updating the plan, but updating the strategy. And mm-hmm. I'll give you a small example of this because we, we went through it together, actually, in, in, um, a few years ago with some of our clients in oil and gas. 2014, 15, 16 um, was a very tumultuous time for oil and gas. And some people that I knew that were making profits hand over fist um, in 2015 were losing money. And I had some clients that were business owners, and they said, Ali, look, I I am underwater this year. We've had um, losses in the company, some even Hurricane Harvey in 2017. Um, had lost money, and they said, we really don't need to do planning. We're losing money right now. And I convinced them otherwise, and I'll explain why. Is that Sometimes when you have down years or, or economically you go through a tough period, it's the best time to plan. And years like 2015 or 16 are great opportunities where a business owner may have a negative tax return, and they might be able to recognize gains on their portfolio with no tax. They may mm-hmm. be able to convert they could convert an IRA to Roth 
and pay no tax because they had no income that year. Um, mm-hmm. This could be gr- there's great opportunities to do strategic planning and save a lot of money in those bad years. And sometimes from a gift and estate planning standpoint, those are great times when when values are depressed to do any gifting or selling of assets that you have confidence in long-term. So the maintenance stage of the plan really isn't maintenance. It's all about strategic update. So in summary, year one, develop your blueprint plan and strategy and implement the critical items. Year two, uh, let all the dust settle from the changes, help conform to the new norm, help a business owner understand now that we've done what we've done, here's your new normal. And then year three onwards, it's how do we maintain and manage the strategy for change and continually make sure that we're staying ahead of the curve. So if there is a change in tax law, we're that firm that's looking at the tax law and saying, how does this impact a business owner? And how can we bring... Um, strategic thought and guidance to business owners to say, here's what this looks like, here are your opportunities, and let's get some momentum toward capturing capturing and capitalizing on change. No, got it. That's a, that's a great... Uh... That's a great summary that I think will help people you know, kind of paint a picture of what of what they would expect uh, over the next 10 years working with you versus, say, what the last 10 years have looked like, uh, you know, without without your input. Well, as we wrap up here, I'll go ahead. I was going to say one little thing there is when you said 10 years ago, and I realized kids or children, I should say, um, a lot of times with our clients that have been with us a decade plus is that they were now getting their children more involved in planning. And sometimes there's multi-generational planning going on and, and translating expectations and values to children and being that, uh, that partner as they steward their wealth to the next generation. So it's another aspect I didn't touch on, but is it is definitely a core part of our work. Excellent. Well, as we wrap up, if somebody is interested in exploring a relationship with you and your firm, what would you suggest they do? Um, well, they've got a few options. They can uh, they can come to our website, which is uh, altruvistawealth.com, A-L-T-R-U-V-I-S-T-A wealth.com. And uh, basically, there's, there's four ways they can connect with us. Um, we have a guide. Uh, specifically created for business owners on hiring an advisor for high net worth business owners. Uh, they can download that guide. It's free to them to help kind of give them the, empower them to know what to look for, what questions to ask, what to be aware of. Uh, so an advisor guide. Uh, they can go to our website and complete a scorecard to help them assess their current position and answer a few questions to get an idea of what kind of value or what kind of change might I get from this wealth of purpose planning process or, or from a personal CFO or family CFO team? Um, what does that look like? So we can do a scorecard. Uh, they're always welcome to reach out to us to schedule a meeting. We offer um, our first stage in our process is to identify where gaps and considerations may be and kind of provide a initial written proposal of what uh, that planning process might look like and where their major considerations are. Uh, so it's a meeting. And then the fourth one, if, they, if they'd love to connect with you and us together, uh, when we have our next uh, CEO's lunch, they can come to one of our CEO's lunches as a guest of Dave Spray. Um, and we'll have a, a, you know, a seat and a, 
a meal ready for, for you and, and one of your podcast guests. So four ways, the guide, download, scorecard completion on the website, set up a meeting, or attend uh, one of our CEO's lunches or, or events with Dave. Great. And, if they, uh, and, and by the way, my only complaint about your lunches is that they're not frequent enough. These are, uh, these are amazing, <laughs> amazing events. You you're always have them at a nice restaurant. Uh, you've got to eat lunch anyway. They're very informative. It's uh, a small group, but there's still some uh, opportunity to, to meet new people. And uh, yeah, so kudos to you and your team. Those are those are always great. Thanks, Dan. We appreciate so, that. Appreciate your, your sure. support at those as well. So what's the main phone number if they want to just call up the office? Sure. Uh, 713-581-2440. 713-581-2440. And uh, we'd be happy to to chat with them or set up an initial call at our meeting and take it from there. Yeah, and, and if they heard about this from the podcast, maybe just mention that. Just for some context when you uh, schedule the meeting. I'm sure you're curious Absolutely. how people uh, how people uh, come to you. you know, awesome. A hundred percent of our uh, of our clients um, come from uh, introductions from either an existing client or a professional alliance like, like yourself. So we always we always first thing we want to know about anyone is how did you hear about us and. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's always I feel like your best clients and your best relationships tend to breed your next best relationship. So that's something that's been great. Sure, I would agree. Well, is there anything else we need to add before we wrap up? Oh, I think it, uh, this has been great. I, I sincerely appreciate the the time and the uh, opportunity to to speak to your audience. And um, we've we've had a tremendous amount of benefit for our clients using the IC disk, and that's definitely a tax strategy that where it makes sense, it's hugely valuable for, for business owners. So it's great to be able to partner on something like that. And uh, thank you so much for the for the call. Oh, you're welcome. Hey, one last quick question. Your mm -hmm. uh, clients you're looking for, are you, do you, I know that they, they tend to be more in Houston and Texas because that's where you're located. But do you have clients outside of Texas that you're still able to work with and provide value? Yeah, we do. We have clients uh, in different states, and, and we do business. We're, we're, we're uh, licensed to do business across the U.S. Uh, it really just depends on their needs and engagement, but we can certainly have that discussion and call. And um, with with meeting technology nowadays, it's, it's so easy to meet virtually or to fly in and, and have a meeting, whatever it may be. But we're absolutely open to having clients outside of Houston. Um, just have a conversation and take things from there. That sounds great. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time, Ali, and thank you for being on the IC Disc Show. My pleasure. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate you, sir. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye. There we have it. Another great episode. Thanks for listening in. If you want to continue the conversation, go to icdiscshow.com. That's ic-discshow.com. And we have additional information on the podcast, archived episodes, as well as a button to be a guest. So if you'd like to be a guest, go select that and fill out the information. And we'd love to have you on the show. So that's it. We'll be back next time with another episode of the IC Disc Show.